Hello, and welcome to the podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dave. I'm here with my co-host, Emily, and we are talking to Keisha Williams. Keisha is the principal training architect at a cloud guru, someone I have known, gosh, going back six years to the Alexa Champion program. She was one of the first, I, I can verify this, one of the first people ever to use the Alexa SDK in its early Java days. She has had an amazing career moving from a Java enterprise background into the cloud, into machine learning and AI, and is now taking all of those lessons and is actually sharing that and training people and helping them grow in this space. Uh, and today's episode is going to be all about that. So welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I'm so happy to be here. And I did not realize I was one of the first to use the Java SDK. <laughs> you absolutely were. And uh, just a little bit of background. So this is going back, because Emily won't know this either. And some of our, our uh, listeners may not know this. So in the very early Alexa days, it wasn't even called Alexa Skills Kit. It was the Amazon Echo SDK. And we released that SDK as Java. And on AWS Beanstalk, there was no services, serverless. There was no Lambda or, or nothing. So it required creating an entire uh, Java dev environment and setting the Beanstalk and doing all of that, which was like trying to explain that to people was such a heavy lift. And it really was a blessing when, when Lambda came along. And you were already asking me questions about that. Uh, I remember doing... Um, off, was it office hours or something like that? Just meeting everyone and uh, your your ability even back then to, to to pick up on it and then help people was was awesome. So the good let's old talk. days. Yeah, isn't it crazy? We just saw. Did you see the stuff go across Twitter about the anniversary of Alexa? Um, um, yeah, I see, I see that go across every year. I always look forward to it. Yeah, I I just I feel older and older. Every day, my oldest daughter just got accepted early into college, so I'm like, uh, I wow. just, yeah, another another point in life reminding me. I still feel like a kid on a skateboard playing uh, playing computer games. You know, it's like it's, it's crazy to me. So, yeah, Alexa's grown up and matured, and AWS all along has been a huge part of that. So, why don't we talk a little bit about that? How did you get involved with that, um, where you were? You can talk about your engineering uh, job when you were doing Java and, and everything and um, how that eventually led to this journey to AWS. Sure. So, yeah, I've been in IT for about 26 years and I really built the bulk of my career in the Java software engineering space. And I remember when I was first introduced to Alexa, I was actually visiting my parents and oh, wow. my mom had an echo device on her kitchen counter. And I thought to myself, my parents don't even have caller ID. Yeah. And my mom has this really cool tech toy <laughs> and I'm in tech and I don't have it. And so because of that, like the very same day I went home, I ordered um, an echo device and then I started playing around with existing skills. And then before too long, I wanted to figure out how to create my own skills. And at the time, because I was a Java software engineer, I wanted to use Java in order to create my skills. And yeah, I can say the rest is history because I've created several fun skills. I eventually started using Python because of my machine learning journey. I yeah. had to learn Python. And so I started authoring my skills 
in Python. Um, but yeah, that's just a little bit about my introduction to Alexa. Yeah. And it's, you know, it was the same way with my mother-in-law. She got an Echo to play the Eagles and <laughs> or like had all of these playlists and everything. And then <clears throat> I think I talked about this. We were around something like a thousand skills. And so it got to the point, I used to get an Excel spreadsheet every week of the skills that were like, it was a manual process. So certification, I would get emails. It was literally Dave's inbox. And wow. uh, before we had it all automated in the team. Yeah. And I would get, hey, you know, this new skill went live. This, so I thought I knew everything. And she was like, she's a big fan of, um, oh gosh, what's, I can't think of the name of the song, the, the, uh, the the TV show. I hate when my brain goes like this sometimes. Anyway, um, she loves that show. And she was like, I can get when it's on TV through my Echo. So I was like, wow, it's like practical uses. And it really hit me. And I'm going to go back. I'm going to like, now I got to figure out the name of the show. I can't, and everyone's <laughs> going to get mad at me that I don't, and Emily's just leaving me hanging right now. I have no <laughs> Sorry, idea. Someone's wandering around in front of my house. And I'm like, what are you doing in front of my house? <laughs> Um, but anyway, it's not important to the, to the story, but it basically, it was this language making, um, technology accessible to everyone and technology really adapting to human beings instead of the, that, the other way around. And that we didn't leave anybody behind, right? We can all kind of move forward in this. And that's for me, when I started to wonder how all that works, and that's really the, and I think it's it's magic to a lot of people still mm -hmm. is artificial intelligence uh, and machine learning and that, you know, that journey. So was that was Alexa the thing that sparked that for you? Alexa, as far as my machine learning journey, not really, because way back then when I first started with Alexa and building skills, I really didn't understand the AI behind Alexa. Right. I just knew how to create a skill. That's really all I understood back then. So really my machine learning journey, it wasn't a result of Alexa or Java. It was just more my love of learning. And it was less it. technology, you know, being in, in IT, I'd always heard about machine learning. And I just had this idea that it was something that was very hard, that I wouldn't be able to grasp it or understand it. I needed to have a PhD or I need to work in like a research lab in order to ever understand it or apply it. And so for me, it was just a challenge. It was a challenge and I wanted to learn more about machine learning and how I could apply it in the real world. And when I was first getting started, I really didn't know where to start, but I knew AWS. And so I started with the Amazon machine learning service. And Oh, wow. That really, yeah, that really started my my journey and just being able to, I call it learn as I build. Um, but yeah, that's how I started my machine learning journey. That was about four years ago. Did you just open up the console and click on machine learning as one of the sections in AWS and yeah. and go that? Nice. Yeah, I love that. So I, I knew, so the, I learn best by building. And so yeah. I wanted, to, I needed to come up with just this real world use case. And basically my first project was pre-crime from the movie Minority Report. So oh. using <laughs> machine learning to predict crime. And I went into, you know, I, I got, had the data, 
got the data ready, and then I went into the Amazon machine learning service, read all the documentation about how to set up and train the model, and the rest is history. <laughs> I'm beyond impressed with this because you you mentioned earlier it does kind of feel like you have to be a PhD. And, you know, when people right, talk about machine right. learning, I'm like, oh, there's like five people in the world that actually know what they're talking about. <laughs> right. right? <laughs> so I love that you, I mean, you learned as you went, you picked up, um, I know you mentioned moving into Python. I'm curious when that sort of transition shifted and if you were able to do anything in Java with machine learning, but that you read documentation and just learned. Like that's, that's the dream. <laughs> Right. So with with the Amazon machine learning service, it really abstracted away a lot of the deep technical details. Mm -hmm. And so I eventually, I guess, graduated to SageMaker. And at that point, that's where I started picking up Python. I needed to learn about Python and Jupyter Notebooks and really how to recreate the model that I developed using Amazon machine learning. I had to recreate that in SageMaker. So that really started my Python journey. That's phenomenal. And what was it? I mean, I wrote I'm a Ruby and Java background, and I was always surprised at, um, I started with Ruby and I moved to Java and I thought I would hate Java. And then I learned to love the structure and sort of, um, it's almost like a grumpy language, I think. <laughs> it's just always like, you're wrong, you're wrong. Um, <laughs> I'm curious what that like transition the opposite way was and and how those kind of languages like felt like, what do you feel like are the positives of both of those? Or what was your experience like? Right, so I felt the transition from Java to Python was pretty straightforward. To this day, I still want to put semicolons on the end of all of my Python lines. And I just really don't agree with the need to like indent and that the compiler actually gives me an error if I don't indent my line correctly. So, yeah, the transition was pretty easy. I think because I already had that programming background, it made it pretty straightforward. That's phenomenal. Yeah, I think... Um what I didn't fully appreciate when I started is that I thought the syntax would be the really hard part. And that's, that actually is the, I mean, it's not easy, but it's the more simple part to catch on. It's really, you know, the, the sort of paradigms and the structure of things and how to solve problems with code gets really tricky sometimes. Yeah. You, I actually think Python is easier. Than yeah. <laughs> it yeah. seems like it's a very friendly language. Yeah, I've never yeah. I've, I've never written it, but I can read it. And that mm -hmm. impresses me. I'm like, okay, this is very simple to kind of see what's happening. Um, I also feel like uh, communities too, right? Is that oh, yeah. when, as someone who spent, I started out in Java as well, uh, and I'm going to date myself, but I was, I was writing Java applets for Panasonic's intranet cafeteria systems. Oh and at the time, Microsoft, I, I, I had done Visual Basic 5. So it was like, all right, this is so much better. And I think, I think NetBeans was around um, as the main like IDE. But uh, Microsoft has announced they were going to do something called J++. Oh, I remember that. Remember I was that? There. I, yeah. And I was like, this is going to be so cool because I'm going to get integration with Visual Studio and all that. And then Anders Halsberg, eventually that all became you know C Sharp. But for me, what I first noticed when I was looking in Python and, you know, even a lot at Microsoft with uh, when there was a push with HTML5 and WinJS, that language, it was the first time I saw community combined with language because Java and .NET for me, everything was in source safe, 
behind an enterprise closed wall, right? Oh, yeah. And then you started to see GitHub right. rising. And that's what I that's what I loved about these languages. I was like, everybody's sharing this is so cool. I don't have I could pretend I'm smart at work again. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I think that's a huge part of it. And maybe it's just me, but like when I go back in the Java, like I start to feel that again of like, I don't think every amazing piece of Java code that's ever been written is accessible to everyone the way it is in some other kind of languages, you know? You're right. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, true. And the, I, it's sort of, I guess, a chicken and egg, but the language to community and how they sort of influence each other, I think is a really interesting um, sort of pattern in software. Yeah. You mentioned earlier Jupyter Notebooks. I hear this all the time. I have no idea what it is. <laughs> Tell me about it, please. Yeah, it's just, you can think of it like an IDE okay. for the Python programming language. But essentially, data scientists and machine learning engineers, they use the Jupyter Notebook as the IDE to write and run Python code. Amazing. And within within Jupyter Notebook, it's st structured like little blocks. So each block, you have whatever code you're trying to do, and you run that block, and you're able to see your output. And then in the next block, you have whatever you're trying to do next, and it just continues on as different like blocks. But think of it like an IDE where you write um, Python code. You can import any libraries that you need, just like a typical IDE. So that's all it is. Amazing. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> um, what do you feel like, what would you recommend is the best path forward for people who are interested in machine learning or um, want to take that on? Because I do like the barrier to entry can feel high. So what, what have you seen have uh, made people successful through that? Right. So if you have a Java or just a software engineering background, mm -hmm. the first thing I would tell you to do is learn and, and understand the machine learning life cycle. So as a software engineer, you already understand like the software or systems development life cycle and how you build an application and put it in production. Mm -hmm. So machine learning has a similar life cycle. So I would recommend learning, learning that life cycle and then learning all of the machine learning terms and concepts like training, model, inference, hyperparameters, just understand all those terms and what they mean. So that's the first thing. And then the next step, I would recommend learning Python. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't know Python, learn Python, work with Jupyter Notebooks, and just learn all of the data science libraries um, that you can use on your machine learning project. So like matplotlib for data and visualization and NumPy for processing your data. So learn Python in the data science libraries, and then pick a real world use case, find good data, mm -hmm. and then go build it. I love this. So um, do people need to be good at math to be good at machine learning? <laughs> uh, no. Okay. No. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Yeah. Um, I was it's always like you don't you don't have to be a good uh, good at math to program. <laughs> yes, yes. I like I harp on this all the time because I was always bad at math, and I always thought then engineering would be out of scope for me because clearly I can't you know do algebra in my head. So obviously, <laughs> <laughs> software engineering is a better choice. Um, oh, you had another point there with we were talking about. Is math, and then one other thing you said, and I wanted to talk about it. 
the data I, science libraries or the life cycle. Well, you, um, said, you said one thing about work with good data. Like what is yes, oh, yeah. good data? Say, Thank we think you. the same way. You're the best. <laughs> like, yes. How, where yeah. do you find good data? Exactly what Dave said. Yeah. So whenever you're working on a machine learning project, just always have the mindset of bad data in, then you're going to have a bad model that's maybe biased and doesn't do a great job at making predictions. When I first started trying to find data, for example, for my crime prediction model, it took me forever actually, you know, searching on the internet and just trying to find a police department that actually made their data wow, yeah. public. It took me forever. I almost wow. gave up, but I found um, in the UK, they make all of their stop and search records available. Amazing. So you, I'm, I'm assuming you, they're required to do that, correct? I would assume so. Yeah. It's all out there for years. That's awesome. For free for you to download. Um, but I've also used the UCI machine learning repository. They have a lot of good data sets available. And then several colleges out there just make data sets available. Um, yeah, you just you really have to search because that's when it comes to machine learning project, that's the most important piece. It's true. And I know when, you know, we talk about like, ethics in AI and, you know, the sort of removing bias from these areas, what, what makes data bi biased? Is it just the humans that, that caused it, like infect it with their own bias or what kind of happens in the process? Well, one way that data can be biased is it's not diverse enough. So for example, when I think back to my crime prediction model, there were several attributes um, that the machine needed to learn in order to make a prediction. So for example, the data elements included location, um, time of day, day of week, month, age, gender, um, and whether or not. So for each record, you have those data attributes, and then you have this flag that says whether or not that stop led to an arrest. And so, for example, in that data set, if I only had women, you know, the female certain age, then the computer is going to learn that whenever I see that again, that's going to indicate a high likelihood of crime. So yeah. you really have to make sure that your data is diverse and you have accurate representation across all of the attributes that the machine is going to learn from or the machine is going to produce a model that's biased and inaccurate when it comes to making predictions. So that's one example of how bias enters into um, the machine learning process. That's so, it's so helpful to hear that. And I, I think, you know, every once in a while I'll hear, I'll hear these things surfaced and it's like, I mean, a few months ago they were doing this, um, to assuming someone was a criminal or deciding who would commit a crime based on their face shape. And I was like, I'm not a scientist, but that seems like a bad idea. <laughs> like, yeah, I haven't heard about that project. I have to check that out. Yeah, I, mean, I should find, there yeah, was some kind of tweet about it. And I was like, this is terrible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and I, uh, it just, to me, right, is we evolved so that with the, the most, like nature is very parsimonious, right? We don't, we don't waste anything. So our reality and our perceptions is guessing most of the time. I mean, you can, you can constantly be fooled. And so I feel like that's to me is 
What has me excited about AI and ML is extracting it out into a recognition system that is not, uh, you know, our friend Brian would call it the human OS, right? The human OS makes assumptions and is absolutely biased. And right. so being able to extrapolate that in a way that you can um, make it more decentralized from like a single brain and a single, right. you know, we pull from the schemas that we've learned through our life and we make assumptions. And I'm, that was, I, I dabbled slightly in Alexa days from some of the AI and ML. And I, one of the first examples that actually I started philosophizing about things because it was like, well, what is a cat and what is a dog? That's the first thing that I saw as an example, right? And I'm like, well, mm -hmm. what is a cat and what is a dog? And I only saw a cat or a dog maybe a handful of times as a kid and I could tell the difference. So what the <laughs> heck was going on in my brain, right? And I find that that fascinating and just the kind of the future of that, of how we can get to that point. Right. That really makes me excited because that's the promise of machine learning, that it can actually remove bias and make the world more fair. So to me, that really gets me excited. We just have to do it right. Yeah. I'm still on the word parsimonious. Did you get a word a day calendar? <laughs> parsimonious. It doesn't, it just means it doesn't waste any energy. Uh, which I love is, it. <laughs> sometimes I can appear smart, but it's just because I learned a word somewhere along the lines. <laughs> Um, so you work at a cloud guru working in the training. Do you uh, work with machine learning with that or talk to me about that sort of experience? Sure. So I, I specialize in AWS and machine learning. My very first, well, my second course with a cloud guru was the Alexa certification course. I've done um, web series, a web series on Deep Composer. And I'm doing more machine learning courses now. So that that's always fun when I'm able to combine AWS and machine learning and help others on their journey. That's amazing. And I'm probably going to be stepping into mud here as an AWS employee, but is Deep Composer an AWS service? <laughs> or what, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> you all have what I call these deep toys. So there's Deep Composer, Deep Lens, Deep Racer, and so yeah, Deep racer, Composer huh? is the it's a keyboard where you're able to use uh, machine learning to compose music, and it's it's a great way to get hands on and play around and learn with mm. machine learning. I bet my kid would like that. That's really cool. Yeah, I love it that. is really cool. Yeah. Um, so you, you write these courses. Yes. Wow. And what do you, I mean, cause then, so people with your skill set fascinate me because you're not only so deeply technical and you understand all these pieces, but you have to be a good teacher and you have to humanize it and, and like create this high level sort of overview while, while being able to deep dive in an understanding way. What do you see as the challenges of, of education and tech? When I think about my role, I guess the most challenging piece is really trying to break it down so that it's easy for someone who's never seen it before to understand it. So I understand it at a, at a deeply technical level. And sometimes there are things I just assume that others know. And so for me, it's, it's, it's very challenging to be able to just break it down into these smaller chunks that people can understand. And it's just important to always use analogies and try to like relate it to what 
a person already knows to help them understand. And it's also important to use images. So try to make it as visual as possible. And so that too is challenging because instead of using words, you have to use pictures and images. And so that part, it's, it's all fun because it brings out my creativity. Yeah. So I enjoy um, doing that and being creative, but it, it is challenging. Yeah. It's, um, it's also hard to find a lot of uh, content on this sometimes. Like I was, I have to write something about garbage collection and garbage collection. I mean, you know, working in the JVM, we like, <laughs> yeah. we know of it. We know like there's a, but then when you deep dive into garbage collection, like I was looking for an illustration because I was um, just how it kind of pauses and then hops through and decides what can be thrown away. And so I was looking for just some kind of illustration or a GIF or something that I could really kind of visualize this with. There was really nothing. <laughs> like, like <laughs> the fact that I'm playing designer and your <laughs> science professor right now is <laughs> I'm worried for the world, but I'm doing the best I can. So. I appreciate your uh, your knowledge in the, that area. That's incredible. What do you wish you knew before you started? Like, what would you do different or the same? Well, specifically with machine learning, I would have started earlier because it turned out to be way easier than I thought. And I really give AWS the credit for making, I guess, machine learning approachable for someone like me from a, a Java software engineering background. Mm -hmm. And so if I had it to do all over again, I would have set my fears aside and I would have started earlier. That's awesome advice. Just get started. I love that. Yeah. Um, so what are you excited for? What's next? Like in the machine learning space or, you know, AWS, how, how do you kind of, what are you looking forward to in the future? Well, I'm definitely looking forward to the next deep toy. Uh, I'm yeah. waiting. I'm hoping something is announced at reInvent. <laughs> so, Will you be at reInvent? Yeah. No, I'll be attending virtually awesome. this year. That yeah, was where Deep Racer came. Deep Racer was like two years ago, I think, right? And it, you started to see people with the racetracks and all yeah. that. It's just a crazy amount of fun. Yes, definitely. And where can people find you on Twitter or wherever? I am on LinkedIn and on Twitter, but if you just go to my website, www.keisha.tech, you can find all the links to like my social media. Oh, that's a good URL. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> Keisha.tech. That's fantastic. I grabbed that early. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you so much for joining us. Same here. It was a lot of fun. Good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great seeing you again.